Um, I have watched that, uh, that little run in there three times, and it has scared me all three <laughs> times. And I'm prepared for it. I'm waiting for him to go, hello. And it just, it just it shocked me again. It makes me laugh over there. Uh, good morning. Glad that you're here. I want to welcome all of our uh, connections to JFC, however you do that, whether you attend the campus live, uh, listen online, or perhaps download it and listen at another time. However you join us and however you're connected, we welcome you and we're glad that you're a part of our church. Uh, on the way into all of our live services, you're handed the notes. And if you want to get those out real quick, there's some fill in the blanks. So you may want to use a pen or a pencil. Uh, if you use your device and just download the notes that way, uh, that's great. And if you can remember everything that's said, more power to you, however you do it. Uh, we want you to get ready for the message right here. Our series is called Unorthodox. We're in the third week of it. And uh, I'm going to talk today uh, this issue in fact, I may, for the next uh, few weeks, aim what I'm teaching on. I'm just going to call it Thriving in Babylon. Not that I think that uh, we live in Babylon, but I think that there's a great connection looking in the Old Testament uh, at people who had to live in cultures and in situations and in difficulties as believers. How did they hold on to their love for God while navigating the things around them that weren't always easy to navigate? I mean, today, I think the, the, the modern equivalent today for so many believers, we, we just want to withdraw and we want to find ourselves kind of like, um, uh, you know, I'm going to resist what's going on around me. And I don't think that Jesus teaches withdrawal and resistance. I think what he teaches is occupy and infiltrate. And really what we need today, we need believers full of wisdom in key places speaking today. We don't, yes or no, there's a lot of people speaking, but they don't always have such wisdom when they speak. Some of you are like, who are you talking about? You? What? No, I, on a national level. So I, can I confess something to you real quick? I, I, so I taught this last night, and I thought it went great. Love the message. I taught it this morning, and I didn't think it went so great. It went down in the, we had a little, like, break room to kind of hang out in between. And I'm sitting, I'm just like, God, what, what went wrong? What, what went wrong? And I, I you know, I, crickets is all I hear in that, that situation. And uh, the only thing that came to me was to sing you this song. What would you do if I preached out a tune? Would you get up and walk out on me? I hope you wouldn't. I hope you just sit here and be... Just to let you know where my thoughts are sometimes. So, welcome to Jubilee. Glad you're here this morning. I needed to get that off my chest. That's all it was. I just needed it off my chest so I could preach with freedom. Is that okay? So, if you get up and walk out, I'll know why. No, okay. All right, so, uh, let's, let's just do this. Uh, DJ last week, he taught for me. And uh, I, had, I had some things I needed to take care of with my mother last weekend that were very important. And uh, DJ was up in the rotation as part of our teaching team. And DJ came and he taught last week our Castle Rock campus pastor. And I wanted to thank DJ for his ministry, for his friendship. Uh, I thought he did a great job. Yeah, let's, let's just thank him. He really, I appreciate DJ. I'm uh, going to talk about Daniel today. And uh, let me give you an, an overview here. Uh, it, I, I, I asked a person quite a bit younger than I am, you know, have you ever read the book of Daniel? And so the lady said to me, she goes, you know, I've read it, but I'm not sure how it applies to my life. I thought that's probably pretty interesting perspective. I think most people say, hey, I'm going to talk about Daniel today. I, I think that most people probably have one or two thoughts about the book of Daniel. Let me tell you what they are. And it's a shame. It's not wrong, but it's a shame. Most people, when you go to talk about the book of Daniel, equate Daniel to two like really big events that happened in that book. One was the fiery furnace. Do you remember? Do you remember the story? So Daniel and, and his friends are uh, put to the test in the fiery furnace. Well, they bow down and worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar, and if not, they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, and they're willing to stand for truth and righteousness, and God protects them in the fire, brings them out of the fire. And then the other one is the lion's den. Do you remember that one? 
Again, Daniel, uh, an edict is uh, issued. You can't pray to any other god except to, you know, uh, the king. And Daniel, man, he prays every day with his windows open to God. And he decided, I'm not going to alter my course. This is a hill I'll die on. And so he's thrown into the lion's den. And the Bible says that God shut the mouths of the lion and kept Daniel safe. So mostly when we think about Daniel, we, we kind of relegate him to the Sunday school stories uh, of, of the lion's den of the fiery furnace. And that's great, and it's true, and it's in the Bible, and it's right. And when I've taught it, I've taught those things too. Here's the problem. Those two stories equal two pages in a book that's over 100 pages. We don't teach the rest of his life. And really, what's his life about? Why is it in the Bible? Is it just because of the fiery furnace and the lion's den? Or is, does his life represent something? Here's what I think. I think Daniel's life is a perfect roadmap for people who find themselves living in cultures, situations, governments, authorities, co-workers, people who don't agree with them or hold the same values. How do you navigate that and still be successful in life? That's what I think Daniel's life represents. So I want to teach that a little bit and show you that. So let me, let me just start. Daniel, we pick up his story. He's about 16 years old, so he's a young man. Daniel serves through four administrations, four kings uh, is the life of Daniel. Daniel dies an old man in Babylon. He never goes back to Jerusalem. He lived his whole life in a foreign place uh, with a government and with a people group who didn't believe like he believed. And yet Daniel would confess when at different points in his story that this, this was God who did. God put me here in order to save many people. God put me here in order to influence uh, and speak for him in these situations. Daniel could see his life that way. So he starts when he's young. He ends when he's old. Uh, Daniel was picked or chosen. Here's what happened. Uh, Israel had become a divided kingdom. It was Judah and Israel. Uh, they were not serving the Lord. God had warned them, repent, repent, or you're going to go into slavery. Uh, they wouldn't repent, and eventually... Uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, comes to Jerusalem. Uh, they besiege it. They surround it. They choke the people out. And they actually end up taking all of Israel, God's people, captive. And they carry them back to Babylon. And here's what Nebuchadnezzar does. Rather than kill everyone, he says, let's pick the best of the best. Let's teach them. Let's put them in our university. Let's change their name, their identity. Let, let's change their language. Let's teach them our language. Let's teach them what we know, what we study, what we learn. And after graduation, I'll test them. And if they meet the test, they'll serve in my court. And if not, then we'll get rid of them. So the way they decided who's going to be chosen, they, they had three criteria for who was chosen. This is what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 1. We want to pick the smart, we want to pick the handsome, and we want to pick the physically fit. The Bible adds one other thing about Daniel that qualified him is that he loved God. So he was smart, he was handsome, he was physically fit, and he loved God. When I compare my life to Daniel, only 25% of my life equals... <laughs> Can you figure out which of the four? I love God. How about that right there? <laughs> so Daniel, his, his qualification is that he's, he, he's not just a person of knowledge. He doesn't just have facts in his head. He can apply wisdom. He, he can unlock mysteries, and he, he's smart. He's a good-looking young man. He, he's, he, he's like, you know, he just stands out. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is looking for in order to broaden his kingdom. So Daniel goes into this situation, uh, not, not what I think his life, what he thought it was going to be. Probably when he's younger, he doesn't look and go, can't wait to go to Babylon. I think he probably thinks, you know, I'm going to serve God all my days here in Jerusalem, and I'm blessed. And yet he finds himself at an early age going to Babylon. All right, here's where I want to start. 
in any story that we tell, in any understanding of our lives, in dealing with any situation, here, here's the foundation of everything you've got to build your life on if you're a believer. Daniel got this down, and I want you to see how he explained it. So in two verses of Scripture, Daniel sums up what's happening in his life. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2 says, and you help me read it, and the Lord, just stop there. Daniel didn't see this as the devil did this. Just pay attention real quick. Daniel didn't see it as though the culture took over. Daniel didn't see it as though God had somehow left him or abandoned him or walked away. This is a very important fact you've got to realize if you're a believer. Everything in your life has to be built on the Lord is in control of my life. If you don't believe that God holds you in his hand and no one can snatch you from there, then I will tell you, you probably need to learn how to resist and you probably need to learn how to not cooperate. But if you believe that everything that goes on in your life, that God is in control of everything, even, you know, when, when, when Joseph in Egypt found himself in the middle of horrible circumstances, here's what he confesses. What the devil intended for evil, God overrid for good. In my life, if you can't believe that God is in control of your life, you're right. You need to come up with a different, you need to be very afraid. But if God is in control of your life, it sort of should give you a different attitude about how you're going to conduct yourself, but how you're going to operate in life. So Daniel just simply says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah into his hand. Even though it was a terrible situation, even though it's not what he wanted, even though this is not what anybody would have said, could God do, why would this be God's will? The bottom line, Daniel saw it as no matter what happens, God is in control. So let me say it this way, no matter who's elected, God is in control. So I lost several people in that in the last two messages. I'm going to say it one more time, okay? It's not a political statement. This is a believer's, no matter who's elected, God is in control. If you can't say amen to that, be afraid. Be afraid. No matter what law is passed, God is in control. No matter what happens in our world, God is in control. Don't confuse God's will with God being in control. When, God, when you see a wicked person come to power, some, some, some Hitler, God is not sitting back going, oh, this is awesome, this is what I wanted. This is man doing his thing. But no matter what, God is able to, through all generations, be in control and turn it for his purposes ultimately. If you don't believe that, be very afraid. Does God hold you in his hand or not? That's an important issue. So Daniel always saw his life as though God were in control. Let me connect something in Proverbs to this thought that I want you to see. I'm trying to talk about how to thrive in Babylon, how to conduct yourself. What hills, where, where do you draw the line? What are you going to die for? But what is not that important? What is just uncomfortable, distasteful, offensive, Ugly to you, but not an issue to die for. Because so many of us today, we don't know. We're just like, if it makes me mad, that's what I'm dying on. If it offends me, it's wrong. Proverbs 9.10, talking about God being in control and what it does for us and how to see life this way. So the Bible says that the fear of the Lord, this doesn't mean to be afraid of God. This means when you see God, as over everything. When you respect him as he is sovereign, he is in control and all is good. When you live your life 
knowing God this way, when you respect God this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, what's the first word? Wisdom. And then it uses these other, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Real quickly, just, just a, quick, a quick lesson in wording here. Understanding, knowledge, and wisdom. These three words are used almost interchangeably throughout Proverbs. You ever read them? Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Are they the same thing? Are they different? Do you know the difference? What are they? No, I'm just going. I'm. <laughs> you were just in the role of going, yes, yes. I just thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll expose him right now. Oh, no. It, it, all right. Knowledge. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts and information. So if you have a lot of, lot of knowledge, you'd be great on Jeopardy. What'd you say? Like me? Got a lot of, got a lot of trivia in my head that accumulates to nothing. Uh, so knowledge is great. Uh, knowledge is helpful. But how about this? Uh, knowledge is not wisdom. Because there are a lot of people who are knowledgeable, but they're failures. Say it again. So a lot of people have knowledge, but they fail in life. Wisdom is the ability to rightly apply knowledge. So you can have a lot of knowledge, but if you don't know how to apply it so that you can navigate, it doesn't help you. You get it? Uh, you can be right, but if you don't know how to apply it, you're dead right. Anybody in this room married should know the difference between being right and dead right. <laughs> you laugh, but yes or no. You been there? You're right, but you're so right you kill your spouse. Wow. You got a divorce, but I was right. I drove everybody away, but I was right. Think with me for a moment. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding this sentence. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. Through wisdom, the right application of knowledge, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. Let's just go back to Daniel for a moment. Daniel ends up in Babylon right at the beginning of his life. And the first thing they do is change his name, and the next thing they do is change his diet. Now, he's Jewish and he's kosher. He can only eat certain things. And the first thing they want him to do is to violate that. And the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart he would not violate that covenant with God. And yet that... It's the devil. And yet that, that covenant that he made with God... You think it's easy to preach, don't you? Flies, songs, the Beatles are in my... I mean, Daniel, stop. Daniel <laughs> makes a covenant that he won't defile himself. And here, here's what he said. They, they put um, a captain over Daniel and his friends who's in charge of their education, in charge of making sure that they're assimilated into the Babylonian culture. And Daniel says to him, he purposes in his heart that this is the wisdom. This is how he didn't go to the captain of the guard we're not eating that. You can't make us eat it. I don't care what you do. If I have to die, get your sword out and kill me now. It's not what he said. He purposed in his heart, I won't do this. But then he went to the captain of the guard and he asked permission. And the Bible says that when he did it that way with humility and wisdom, that he found these two things, favor and compassion. And the captain of the guard allowed him to do an experiment. Here's the experiment. We'll do this for 10 days. I will compare how you look against
against the ones who are not keeping kosher. If you look worse than them, you have to eat what everybody else is eating. But if you look better, you can keep eating your diet. So for 10 days, they put it to the test. And here's what Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, if we don't look better, I'll do what you want me to do. He trusted God. And guess what happened? At the end of the 10 days, they looked more physically fit. And he was allowed to keep his vow to God. But now let me give you a comparison to this that I think is interesting. And I'll go back to this. How wisdom adds days and years to your life. At the same time, he's put into a university, and he had to study many things. Architecture, he had to study their language, he had to learn to speak Babylonian. He had to learn their culture. But the main focus of the Babylonian culture was astrology. Not astronomy. Astronomy is the study of the stars, the planets, how they move. But astrology is using stars... To predict the future. And that is expressly forbidden in the Old Testament in particular. And yet Daniel is put in a three-year school where he has to learn all astrology. And then he's tested at the end of the three years by Nebuchadnezzar as to whether or not he learned it. This is what the Bible says. He graduated first in his class and he answered so well to Nebuchadnezzar. That Nebuchadnezzar said, I can't find anybody better than you. In fact, no one's even close. You're ten times better than anybody else we have in service right now. And put him right next to Nebuchadnezzar so that now Daniel could speak. Can you imagine? Look, I, I don't understand why the strong stance on the vegetables. <laughs> and the willingness to bend on astrology. J just follow me for a moment. And I'm, and I'm asking, God, I can't. How did he draw a distinction here? Because both of them, clearly, if you go back to script, you'll find both of them, they were supposed to keep both of them. But how, why do this one and not this one? And this is what I think wisdom is. The Bible doesn't forbid what we can learn about. It forbids what we can practice. And Daniel could recognize the difference between those two things. So call me what you want. Teach me what you want. But I'll never let go of what I believe. And Daniel could hold on to that. That's wisdom. And what did it do for him? He lived for years through four administrations. When everybody else died, Daniel lived and prospered. That's what, do you see this? Do you see what I'm trying to say to you? This is what wisdom does. That's why this is important. What we need today are believers full of wisdom who know how to operate in our society, not who withdraw, who, who just simply protest, who just simply are angry. We need people of wisdom to navigate today because what we need are believers in high positions who can speak wisdom to rulers and kings today. Where will God find those people? Where are they? I think they sit in this room, right? If we begin to ask, give me wisdom. Not just, God, what hill do I die on? But real wisdom. Thank you. So let me talk to you then about the benefit of wisdom. That's a fill-in right there. The benefit of wisdom. The benefit of wisdom is that we get perspective from wisdom. All right, now let me, let me uh, all parents, you might appreciate this one. If you're still raising little tiny ones, you'll sort of get it. But if your kids have grown at all, you're going to get this. Perspective is a, is a wonderful thing. Uh, perspective allows us to understand things. Perspective comes with wisdom. Do you agree with that? Yes. We don't always have perspective. The, the beautiful thing about getting older, if you get smarter, is that you can look back and realize, I have better perspective now. Yes. If you look back and you don't have any better perspective, guess what? Never mind. I, 
Don't worry. So let me give you, a, I, I, I want to, I'll draw an analogy for you. Uh, my boys, my twins in particular, when they were little, get up on a Saturday morning. If I made this offer to them, I'll let you choose. They're 10 years old. Boys, we can go golfing today, or you can stay here, help me cut the grass and clean out the garage. Which one do you want to do? <laughs> Call it out. Golf. Right on. I raised them right. <laughs> so let me change now. Let me just change it a little bit. They're 20. Here's a different offer. I want you to go to college, and if you graduate, I'll buy you a new car and a house. Or we can go play golf today. But you can't do both. Which one do you want? If at 20, 25, they choose golf, guess what? They don't have perspective. At 10, I get it. They don't need perspective. They're 10. But at 25 or 35, it's sad, yes or no. A church full of people who have served God for a long time who don't have perspective, it's not funny. It's sad. It's sad when we can't look at a situation and choose wisdom. Do you hear me? I wrote it this way. Maybe you'd like to write this down. It's not in your notes. It's a turn of a phrase that I feel like kind of brought this about for me. Perspective allows us to choose heavenly treasure we cannot lose over earthly treasure that we can't keep. You see it again? Perspective allows you to choose heavenly treasure that can't be lost over earthly treasure that can't be kept. This last week in the media, I'm sure you saw the debacle with the affair website. You know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah, it's Ashley Madison. I'm, I, you know, do I say it or do I not? Ashley Madison. So if you didn't see it, here's what it is. For married people, if you want to have an affair, you can go to this website, you sign up, and it connects you to other people who want to have an affair who are married. Terrible. And then a hacker hacked their website and then exposed all the names of the people who signed up. So I, I talked to a guy in Chicago this week who, who was over a denomination of a group of... Uh, Ministers, and this is what he said. Uh, it's very it's nationwide, worldwide. Uh, he said we expect 400, up to 400 pastors to resign in their pulpits this Sunday because their names were found on the list. Now that's that hurts my stomach, man. That's sickening. That's embarrassing. You agree? So their slogan is "Life is short, have an affair." It's an earthly perspective. Yes or no? Perspective, God's perspective, allows you to hold on to heavenly treasure that can't be lost and understand that earthly treasure can't be kept. So they say, Ashley Madison, life is short, have an affair. Maybe here's what God would say. Eternity's long, don't do it. <laughs> Different perspective? A better perspective? Uh, <laughs> perspective is just that. <laughs> it's that thing that lets you look at a situation and realize, okay, look, look, most of us don't want to deal with the fact that there are nuances in life. We'd rather just let it be all black and white. But life is not always black and white. There are nuances. There are likes and dislikes. There are things that we understand that we don't. How, how do we navigate? What does God want us to do? How do we perspective 
the second one there. Perspective allows you to see things clearly. It allows you to see things clearly. Let me, let me just give you a demonstration from my life. Perspective gained over the years. So um, I grew up as a kid, as a Catholic kid. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I made my first communion. I was an altar boy. I, you know, but we were basically C&E Christians. We'd go at Christmas and Easter time. Religion was a part of our life, but it, I mean, we, we had a knowledge of God. We didn't know God. That's just, that's the way it was. It's not a knock against the Catholic Church. It's nothing. It's just my experience. All right, I'm born again later on in my life. When it came to a knowledge of who Christ was and what Christ had done for me, and I believed it, that, that's what the Bible calls being born again. Man, I, I, I believed it. Jesus came into my life, and it changed everything. Uh, that was wonderful, but it happened in a Pentecostal, a small southern Pentecostal church. And they were really good at introducing you to Jesus, but then the next thing they did was hand you a list of all the do's and the don'ts. They taught religion really well, in other words. And they just felt like, man, this is the way you had to dress. Here's what you could or couldn't drink. Here's what you could or couldn't do in your free time. Here's what you could or couldn't say. I mean, they just had the list down. If you did these things, right, you just weren't serving God. And if you didn't do them, okay. They were known for what they didn't believe in more than what they did believe in. Kind of where they took their stance. All right, so as I, I come up in that, then the Bible college that I go to is of that denomination. And that denomination, it was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and at that time there was a television evangelist who was over this ministry, and he, I mean, the guy, he was right, but he was dead right. He, he there was, so like, uh, he draws a line on music. You can't listen to any secular music whatsoever. All secular music is wrong. And if you didn't toe the line on that, you didn't love God, you weren't serving God. Well, then when that wasn't enough, when Christian music became popular, he then goes, no Christian rock. And then they took a stand against Halloween. You can't celebrate Halloween. You can't let your kids celebrate. So this is what I, I was sort of indoctrinated in. So we're raising our kids, and when our kids went to school and they had Halloween, we would withdraw our kids from school. We'll make a stand. Now, I know some of you are sitting here right now like, Pastor, we've done that. What are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes we choose things not having perspective. We think we're making a righteous stand and people are looking at us and they want to know why we made They didn't want to know. Here's what we did. We were weird Christians. <laughs> Do you know any weird Christians? Why does everybody laugh when I say that? Let me just say this. One more. One more. If you don't know any weird Christians, guess what? You don't quite get that ask on the way home. So, <laughs> we, <laughs> I want you to remember this. What we withdraw from, we give up the right to speak to. I, I'm not for, if you're a believer, letting your kid dress like a devil. But we wouldn't even let them dress like a clown. just one of those days just one of those days I'm telling you <laughs> now old spice is ringing in my head <laughs> I'm going home I'm, I'm just... <laughs> I 
my first pastorate, I was a youth pastor, Lakeland, Florida. And the guy that hires me, he's trying to plan a church. And man, I, I, no perspective. Dead right. So when I interview, here's what I tell the guy. If you want a preacher, I'm your guy. I was a youth pastor. I'm your guy. But if you want someone that's just going to play games, I'm not your guy. So make sure that you're hiring the right guy. Oh, no, man, we want it to be about Jesus, and we want it to be about, so you're the guy. So I come in, and all I did was preach. Wouldn't let them have fun because Jesus never had fun. <laughs> Some of you are not sure. Jesus had fun. Okay, lots of fun. And a guy came back to me after six months or so, and he goes, you know, look, uh, you're a great teacher, but there's more to life than just teaching. You know, there, there's a whole other social side here. Where's the life? Where's, where's the joy? Where's it at? And I was I like, it was a hill I was going to die on. And here's what happened. I got myself fired. I was right. I left there with my chest out. I'm right. Here's what the guy said to me as I walked out the door. Someday you'll have perspective, and when you do, call me. You want to know? Um, yeah, I did. Here, my first thought was, um, when we get to heaven, if you make it, I'll let you know if I got perspective or not. <laughs> That's my first thought. After raising children, pastoring for a long period of time, and realizing that you have to have a perspective that's 30 or 40 years and not one election cycle. You need a perspective that's much more than two or three weeks at a time. You need a perspective that asks, how through the generations do we represent God well? I learned there was more I didn't know than I did know. So I did call him back. I don't know who asked me the question. but so I called him back, and I apologized to him. I asked him to forgive me. I said I was wrong, and I was immature, and I was young, and I thought I knew more than you did. Forgive me. And he laughed. And he said, I knew you were smart enough to get it. That's what he said. I knew you were smart enough to get it. You know, the thing about it is he never asked me to compromise my beliefs. He never asked me to give up on truth. He asked me if I was open to learning different techniques to reach people. And I was so stuck in religion that I wouldn't do it. And that's a shame. Because I'm not sure how many, look, this message is not for the world. I'm talking to the church right now. Do we care enough about people to overcome issues of culture that, listen, we find offensive, ugly, they, they, they just aggravate us, they're not what we would do. I'm not saying you need to go along with them, but are you just going to simply withdraw and resist? Or are you going to learn to infiltrate and occupy? Because that's what Jesus asked us to do. And I find myself as a pastor just surrounded by believers, never having conversations with non-believers. And I've had to be very intentional in the last few years to seek out non-believers so that I can just, I can keep my mind. Listen, most of the world doesn't think like we think. You know what they think like? People without God. And you know what's really important? That the people who know God remember that one time we didn't know God. And somebody needed to help you. Where's your heart at on that issue? Not everything is worth dying for, but one thing is always worth dying for, and it is Jesus. And I would never want you to give that up. I would never want you to compromise that. If you need me to say it, 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can get to the Father unless they go through Jesus. There are not many paths. There's only one. I'll never let go of that truth. But how I effectively love people and minister to them, I'll apply wisdom in every situation. I played golf with a guy recently that was not a believer. So he didn't talk like a believer. He didn't act like a believer. 20 years ago, here's what I would have done when he used the Lord's name in vain. I would have said to him, that's offensive to me. That's what I would have done. Making a righteous stand. No, making myself a pariah to him. I don't expect him to act like he knows God, so he doesn't. But we get done with the round, and guess what the guy says to me three times in a row? Would you pray for me? Remember to pray for me. Pastor. Calls me pastor. Pastor, pray for me. We don't have a right to speak into anyone's life unless we have some influence there. This message is so crucial right now. I don't want you to compromise who you are, but I need you to seek wisdom and how you conduct yourselves. How are you going to do it? So, Father, we love you. Can we just take a few minutes right now for the Holy Spirit to be able to maybe penetrate our hearts and bring us out of a religious mindset that's just so easy to get in. Folks, your eyes are closed. Open your ears and hear what I'm about to say. Jesus did not come to bring us a lifestyle. He came to bring us life. It's very easy to fall into a Christian lifestyle. We don't talk this way. We don't touch these things. We don't go to these places. Rightfully so. But when we begin to put that on everybody else who doesn't believe like we believe, folks, that's not the way to navigate. When we draw lines in the sand that God didn't draw, that's a mistake. What we've got to do is to learn to draw our line where God draws the line and use wisdom on everything else. May God give his people wisdom today, not fear, not anger, not being belligerent, but wisdom today to know how to navigate. The most joyful people in the world should be God's people going through the world. I think that that joy comes, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom, when it's applied right in life, lengthens your days and adds years. Years that are good years, years of joy and years of prosperity. It doesn't mean you don't face things or you're challenged or that you see immediate results always. Some things are not two weeks or two years. You have to be much more strategic and long-term. So what does the Holy Spirit say to you about how to conduct yourself? Maybe we should pray, God, give us wisdom. Help us to represent well who you are and what you've done. God, I thank you this morning for allowing the penetration of truth into our hearts in a greater way. Help us, Lord, to do these things, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks.